So Brother Robbie Bennett has the third class today. His subject is Waiting for the Consolation of Israel, and this is part one of two. And his reading, to get us prepared for the class, is from the book of Luke, and he would like us to read Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. One last, one more minute here while everybody's sitting down. So, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. It reads, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So let's give our attention to Brother Robbie, whose subject is Waiting for the Consolation of Israel, Part 1. Good morning, brethren. First, I want to thank the Orlando Ecclesia for the invitation to myself and my family to be here this weekend. We are very happy to be here. We are very thankful to the brethren here for being a light stand in these latter days as we wait our Master's return. Truly, this weekend is a place of refuge, a place where we can gain strength and comfort, And it's a place of strength and comfort for all those that are here this morning with ears to hear. This morning, uh, I will be talking about the 70 years captivity and desolation on Judah and Jerusalem, as well as the 70 weeks prophecy as recorded in the book of Daniel. The uh, course of my class has been asked to be basically a a fulfilled prophecy, and then unfulfilled prophecy. So this morning we look at an aspect of the fulfilled prophecy through the scriptures. Bibliography, uh, most of my comments this morning have come from the works of Israel, Chronicon, Hebraicon, Eureka, Exposition of Daniel, and also a book called The Coming of the Antichrist, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. I want to thank the brethren that have spoken before me this weekend already. They've provided a good introduction uh, for our thoughts. They've reminded us of this way of truth that has been placed before the chosen people of Yahweh. But this morning we will dive into this aspect of the consequences of the attitude of rebellion as summarized very well with the theme verse that we've read this weekend, but we've failed to really read the latter part of that verse. In Jeremiah 6.16, the very end it says, But they said, We will not walk therein. You know, the prophet Jeremiah provided a record of Yahweh regarding the the true path to rest 
when he exclaimed, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Even today in the year 2008, the servants of Yahweh are seeking for this same rest to which Jeremiah alluded to when speaking to the Israelites. We can go to the letters of the Hebrews by Paul where he provides insight to this same promised rest which has been available to all the servants of deity throughout the ages. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4, we read verses 1 and 2, where we are told, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And let's skip to verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of belief. So, brethren, we see to obtain this rest, as outlined first by Jeremiah and now by Paul, we recognize that labor, standing in the ways, and walking in the ways are requirements. This can only be found by a dedication of our life a life of faith as outlined in the gospel word. We know unto Abraham was the gospel message preached, and based upon his understanding, upon his belief and faith in those things which were promised, righteousness was even accounted unto him. We can read in Hebrews chapter 11 of the inspiration of how faith would move men to remain steadfast in the old paths. Let's turn to chapter 11. Of Hebrews. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him for the same promise. And verse 10 city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We see then, brethren, that Abram's faith drove him to action. Now, of course, we all look at this 11th chapter many times as the faith chapter. And by definition, it provides witness to how, men, how the men of God moved with belief in the things which were unseen. Or you might even say, the unfulfilled prophecy. Those promises which had been made by Yahweh. We see that Noah, being warned of God of things not yet as seen, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. In verse 7, we read that Abraham went out not knowing whether he, whether he went. Verse 8, we see Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They had this foresight. In verse 23 we read, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them. 
It's interesting now, we talk about Paul and what he's recorded for us. If we go back to chapter 1 of this book of Hebrews, we see he begins his letter by witness, a witness of his own faith in the prophetical word of Yahweh. Where in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, he exclaims, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. So here, brethren, we can see that Paul declares unto us the importance of the words of the prophets. In these few words, he shows his recognition and his understanding that he did live in the last days of Judah's commonwealth. From this, it, is, it would be safe to say that Paul was a student of the prophetical word and was fully aware of the time periods which had been recorded by both Jeremiah, Daniel, and the other prophets. Brethren, we turn to the ninth chapter of Daniel to see what the Apostle Paul could have read to strengthen his own faith. What could he have read that might have given him the indication that Paul was even living in these last days? Let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Fill up, seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined." And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now before we analyze these verses, brethren, in Daniel chapter 9, we remind ourselves that we've been reflecting upon the faith that Paul had based upon these words of Daniel. But looking back through the other words of Daniel, we see that even Daniel's faith is strengthened by the prophets. Let's go to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Okay, Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, or Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of this reign, 
I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So it's kind of interesting, brethren. We've now come full circle. Starting off with what we see here on our overhead, the prophet Jeremiah, the theme verse, taking this message then to the prophet's rest into Paul's writing to the letter of the Hebrews. And then back to Daniel with Paul's reference to the prophet's declaration that he understood that he lived in the last days, which Daniel foretold. And now we see Daniel relying heavily upon the prophet Jeremiah for his understanding of prophetic times. I think our two brethren this morning have even referenced this aspect of depending upon the old paths. Definitely something that Daniel and Paul did. Now I have kind of a disclaimer. I don't like to hide behind disclaimers, but... From this point forward, many historical dates are going to be remarked upon. And for simplicity's sake, we are going to review the dates as established by Brother John Thomas and Chronicon Hebraicon. And we do have to acknowledge that historians are not in complete agreement on dates, specifically upon the time periods of the Medo-Persian reigns. So when consulting recent Christadelphian writings in preparation for this class, uh, that we would be like Brother Mansfield, Brother Ferrer, Brother Carter. We find that all provide differing opinions on dating significant historical events. So this is my recommendation to you. Take the ideas which I present this morning. Take them home with yourselves. Sit down with your Bible and your, ex- your expositor and your Christadelphian works in hand and reason through these at- on your own. If you are motivated to such an action, the benefit of learning the details of the prophecies will outweigh the energy you consume by trying to prove your date might be the right one. It also provides some interesting calculations to consider for future dates that could bring in the second advent of our anointed or even other significant events which we are keeping our eyes opening opening for and see day-to-day occurring before us. So we see that Daniel looked to the words of Yahweh to help him understand when the completion of the 70 years of desolation and captivity would come to an end for the Israelites. He knew from reading Jeremiah that for 70 years the nation would serve the king of Babylon. He recognized that the fall of Babylon as a, that the fall of Babylon was a significant sign of the times and he searched through the prophecies of Jeremiah for further information and further guidance in this matter. The faith, as exhibited by Daniel, is what Christ had in mind when he reminded his servants when he said, Now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So let's go through some of the words that Jeremiah studied to give him inspiration. Let's first turn to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 13. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, 
And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass that when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that, and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity. And the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it a perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. We can also look at Jeremiah 30, verses 2 and 3. Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall possess it. Earlier, though, we see that Jeremiah had proclaimed to the nation about the impending destructions that were to come upon Israel. The first warnings of this Babylonian destruction can be found in Jeremiah's chapters 1, 4, and 5. And just for the sake of time, we're not going to read all the verses that I prepared. Let's go to chapter 1 and we'll read verses 13 and 15. Jeremiah 1, verses 13 through 15. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set every one of his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof, round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And let's go to Jeremiah 5:15. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandeth what they say. And it's quite interesting, you know, if you can go back to even Deuteronomy chapter 28 and compare this to verses 48 and 49 and see how even Moses wrote of this impending army or this people. The events occurring before the eyes of Daniel mixed with his knowledge of the sure word of prophecy compelled him, further, compelled him to study further in Yahweh's word. He also would seek him in prayer and in supplication. Look at Daniel 9, verses 17 through 18. Daniel 9, 17 through 18. We see, we read, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Daniel, just like the other righteous servants of Yahweh, prayed for the restoration of Jerusalem. 
And in this attitude, we are reminded of the 122nd Psalm of David, which says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So by Daniel witnessing the fall of Babylon by the hand of Cyrus, he was able to reckon the 70-year captivity was nearing an end, and he desired to see that Yahweh's glory would be manifested in Israel. With the date being approximately now 542 B.C., it was 70 years earlier that Nebuchadnezzar had begun his subjection of the surrounding nations, including Israel, which was in 612 B.C. Daniel saw this important milestone being completed before his eyes, as we can read in Daniel 9, verse 2. We read this earlier, but again... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Most likely, Daniel could have also looked back to the words of Jeremiah in chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. Verse 12 of that verse says, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And also Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, this same time period being foretold, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Note what it says in verse 12, Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me, and find me, and when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations, and from the places where I have driven you. You know, we think about what Daniel did. He turned to the Lord in prayer and supplication. And he was his prayer was heard. So we see from these readings, first, Daniel could calculate the end of the Babylonian captivity. He could definitely understand when that period would end and when Judah and Jerusalem would be set free. We also see that he understood that a need to petition Yahweh in prayer was required. A faithful obedience was required. What's interesting, when we look at the 70-year captivities, there's multiple sets of 70s. A second set of 70 years can also be reckoned from the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, in which he burnt the temple in Jerusalem in 592 B.C. Exactly 70 years later, in 522 B.C., which was the second year of Darius, king of Persia, an edict was issued enforcing the decree of Cyrus to resume building the temple again in Jerusalem. You can reference back to Ezra 4.24 and Ezra 6.1 for that command. In Ezra 4, we are told... Then ceased the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then uh, chapter 6, 
1, then Darius the king made a decree and the search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. So that's the second set of 70 years for this desolation. There's also a third set of 70s, which is quite interesting. This can be seen in the records of history when marking a beginning point as the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign at the deportation of the Jewish captives as recorded in Jeremiah 52.30. In Jeremiah 52.30, we read, In the three and twentieth year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, he carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. This date is 588 B.C. and it marked the beginning of this third set of 70 years of desolation upon the temple in Jerusalem. For in the sixth year of Darius king of Persia, which would be about 518 B.C., the rebuilding of the temple was completed as recorded in Ezra 6.15. It says in Ezra 6.15, And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So it's quite interesting to see these three sets of 70s. Now, in the review of these dates, only the first completion, the first 70 year period would have been witnessed by Daniel because it is believed that Daniel actually died around the year 540 B.C., just two years after the fall of Babylon and well before the temple restoration would have resumed and even been completed in Jerusalem. Yet we can believe that Daniel's faith was strengthened with the witness of the fall of Babylon especially when he got to go and see the handwriting on the wall in the king's palace. And Yahweh revealed unto him that the king Belshazzar's kingdom of Babylon has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, as we find in Daniel 5.28. So we see then, brethren, these time periods were established. Daniel sought to understand them. And from his understanding of the previous prophecies of Jeremiah, it made him able to understand or even try to understand the prophecies which were yet to be revealed to him. So now let's go back to chapter 9 of Daniel and look at the 70 weeks prophecy. To me, this is a prophecy which definitely provided encouragement and inspiration to the brethren of the first century. Men such as Simeon, as we read in our opening verse, who was a just and devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, he was a man that would not see death until he saw the Lord's anointed. And you wonder, what made him keep his faith strong so he would know when that Lord's anointed would come? And I believe it was his understanding of the time periods as shown forth in Daniel. At the time of this vision of 70 weeks, Daniel's anticipation of immediate relief of the crisis of Jewry would not be realized. But in setting out the divine program, Gabriel revealed that a certain time period would elapse before the Messiah would appear. 
And he taught Daniel that Yahweh would further discipline his people. He would provide them a sacrifice for sin. And ultimately, he would destroy the Gentile oppressor. The details of Gabriel's words are found in Daniel 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And in this verse, Yahweh brings our attention to two significant points. First, that Yahweh is revealing that the Messiah will be sent not merely for the salvation of Israel alone, but to effect the complete overthrow of the serpent power as first recorded to us in Genesis 3.15. The details of this are within the six points which are outlined in Daniel 9.24 and are emphasized, and to emphasize the importance of these six accomplishments, Gabriel instructs Daniel to therefore understand. Understand. Also, he's told to know. The word know is from the Hebrew word yada, which signifies to ascertain by seeing, hence to develop a knowledge. The word understand is from Hebrew word sekal, to be circumspect, to have intelligence in a matter. And it is different from the word understand that we see in verse 23, which is ben, to separate or distinguish mentally. Thus we see that Gabriel first invited Daniel to actively investigate for himself the meaning of what was being told. Whereas now he is to be instructed in the matters of fact. Another aspect of this prophecy, time markers established for Daniel to calculate from the beginning of the prophecy and other significant events that would happen within the course of this prophecy. We see a time marker from the going the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem as the start point. And we know that after the 62 weeks that Messiah would be cut off. This would cause Daniel to realize that the Messiah was not going to appear during his lifetime. The record of the prophecy would provide strength to those who would follow in approximately 490 years. Therefore, Yahweh's servants of the first century then could look upon the historical time periods and determine the time of the Messiah's appearance and the fulfillment of Gabriel's words. The first century brethren could reflect upon the four decrees of the Ram or Persian dynasty that were favorable to Judah and Jerusalem as possible beginning points. And brethren, this is what we do when we go through and look at dates. We go through history and we look at dates and look at for possible beginning points. So what decrees were favorable to Judah and Jerusalem? The first decree was issued in 540 B.C. by Cyrus of Persia when he authorized that the Jews could return to Palestine and rebuild the temple. That's in Ezra 1. 
The second decree occurred in 522 when Darius of Persia had to search the archives of the kings and reissue this command to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's Ezra 6.1. The third decree occurred in 469 B.C., which was in the seventh year of Artaxerxes that provided for the restoration of the commonwealth of Judah. That's Ezra 7, verses 7 and 11 through 26. And the fourth decree occurred in 456 B.C., where in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes, a command was issued that the broad and broad wall and the gates of Jerusalem were to be restored. We can read of that in Nehemiah chapter 2. It is from this fourth decree, it is from this fourth decree in the favor of Judah and Jerusalem that the prophecy of the seventy weeks or as Brother Thomas would refer to it as the 70 heptades, a heptade being a seven-day or a seven-year period, can be counted. Exactly 490 years from this decree in 456 B.C. would the land of Judah witness the crucifixion of Jesus at the age of 33 and then fulfill the six particulars which were noted by Daniel, the angel Gabriel. And these particulars were these. You read these in chapter 9, I think, verse 24. First, to finish the transgression, that is, the being the rebellion of the Jews and offering up the Messiah. The second thing was to make an end of sins. No longer would true believers be required to offer up sin offerings by the law of Moses. But now they would seek for forgiveness of sins through the cleansing blood of Christ. They were to make, it was to make a reconciliation for iniquity. That is, it, the provision of Jesus as the antitypical mercy seat covers the iniquity of us all. The fourth thing was to bring in everlasting righteousness. The righteousness of Yahweh was revealed with the death and resurrection of His Son, which then confirmed the everlasting promises. This prophecy was to seal up the vision and the prophecy. That is, the final declaration that Jesus was sent of His Father and that His Father had borne witness of Him. And finally, the sixth thing was the anointing or to anoint the most holy. We know that Jesus was anointed by His Father with the Holy Spirit and with power. And we're told in Hebrews 1 verse 9 that God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. It was these six particulars that were to become accomplished facts before an army should be given to the Roman against the evening and the morning sacrifice for the suppression of it and the destruction of the holy city and the people and the consequent abolition of the Mosaic law and constitution. These things were to be accomplished before 70 A.D., as you might want an easier way to say it. If one was to look at the way the 70 weeks prophecy is presented to Daniel and assign events to the three segments of time that appear to be divided before him, one would note the following time periods. 
And you can find this <clears throat> in Elpis Israel, this breakout of these three time periods. The first time period in Daniel 9.25, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to, unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Here Brother Thomas brings out the seven-week period is a 49-year period which brings about the restoration of the Jewish state. The second part of this prophecy, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, but the three score and two weeks shall the street be built again in the wall even in troublous times. Here we see an additional 62 weeks or if you would look as the, the day for year principle, 434 years, which brings us to the manifestation of Messiah the Prince. So if you add the first seven and the 62, you get a total of 69 weeks or 483 years. And the sum of this 483 years started at 456 B.C. Uh, brings us to the words of Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it terminates at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ announced by John the Baptist in John 1, verses 15 through 31. At the end of this second period, only one, one week remained until the end of the 490 years. So we have the third part. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Here we see one week, which appears to be divided into two. The covenant is confirmed in Jesus in the first three and a half years, in which were occupied by the ministry of John the baptizer, in which he baptized men into the hope of the Messiah's immediate manifestation. We read in Luke 3.15, And as the people were in expectation and all mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. And we see at the death of John, Jesus then takes up his ministry to complete the remaining three and a half day or year period to complete this 490 years of the 70 weeks prophecy. You can look at Luke 13:31, where you see Jesus recognized this aspect of a day for a year period, an aspect to this three and a half year uh, part of his ministry. In Luke 13:31, we are told, "The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, "Get thee out and depart thence, for Herod will kill thee." And he said unto them, "Go ye and tell that fox." Behold, I cast out devils, and I, do, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. So in these words, Jesus validates the day for your principle, and he declares that in three years or three and a half years he would die and afterwards be perfected in the resurrection to life. Exactly to the month, from what we were prophesied in Daniel 9.26, shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. From the decree of Artaxerxes was a 490 year period that was fulfilled. Now many look 
at this final week of the seven prophecy and determine that the death of the Messiah occurred in the midst of the week. But again, I offer you Brother Thomas's explanation. You on your own can determine if you agree or not. But this is what he writes. This phrase, Katsi Hasa Havau, is very incorrectly rendered in the midst of the week in the English version. It is the accusative of time how long and not a precise point of time. Kahatsi signifies one half or one division of the whole seven years. Daniel was not informed which of the equal divisions of the last heptade was to witness the desisting from the sacrifice and oblation by divine authority. He might infer that it would be the end of the latter half of the heptade as the causing to desist was the last incident revealed, included in the whole 77s or heptades of years. He might conclude that Messiah, the prince, would not cause to desist from sacrifice and oblation till a covering were made for iniquity and the righteousness of ages were brought in. This conclusion would have been correct. Still, he was left to inference as Gabriel did not satisfy him on the point. We, however, are not left to inference. The prediction being long since an accomplished fact, we know that Kahatsi referred to its two is the latter part of the 70th heptade, and on the last day thereof, that is, on the crucifixion, which was exactly 490 years or 70 heptades for the month of Nisan of the 20th of Artaxerxes from B.C. 456. So he feels that it could have happened, or it could, the, uh, the half didn't really mean that he had to perish in the middle of that week. Now, like I said, there's other authors that write differently, and I would say you need to search that out on your own. It's a good study. So now, after the six particulars of Daniel 9.24, only the destruction of the city and the temple and the taking away of the sacrifice and oblation and the desolation of the land was left to be accomplished. It should be noted that the sacrifice of Christ Himself put an end to the sin offerings as far as believers in Him were concerned. All those sacrifices continued to be offered by the nation. They were completely taken away because the Scriptures called for the abomination that would make death desolate was to be set up. And we know that this abomination was brought about by the hands of the Roman army. Christ, we know, even forewarned the men of Judah of this coming crisis. We read in Matthew 24, 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea Flee into the mountains. Brethren, these words came to fruition in 70s 
70 A.D. when the daily sacrifice ceased because of the destruction of the temple by the king's army. And it is at that time that Daniel 8, 23-24 was fulfilled. Let's look at Daniel 8, 23-24. says, In latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are to come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper, and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Those living in the first century should have heeded these words of Daniel and those warnings by Christ. For they were given ample warning and signs to understand and discern what was shortly to come to pass in Judea. Being witness to the six particulars that were foretold by Daniel, that should have provided them firm proof that more trouble was yet to come. And those that were driven with the eye of faith would know that they needed to flee into the mountains. But yet again, Yahweh comforts His servants and He assures them that this duration for this abomination is limited in time. We can read later in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, And for the overspreading of the abominations, He shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Here we see, brethren, that Yahweh had once again determined a period of time for this oppression over the land of Judah and the holy place. More information is given to us in Daniel 8, verses 13 and 14. In Daniel 8, verses 13 and 14, we have other time periods associated with abomination. It says, Then I heard one speak, saint speaking, and another saint said to that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Two thousand and three hundred days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. By our studies of Brother Thomas, we note that he believed that the original manuscript rendered here should have actually been 2,400 days. And with the date of 540 B.C. as the beginning point, which we established earlier as the time when Cyrus issued the decree that the Jews could return to Palestine to rebuild the temple, at the end point from that date by Brother Thomas came to 1860. And in 1860, this is what Brother Thomas was seeing. It was an epic of the American Civil, the Franco-Mexican, the Russo-Polish, the Austro-Prussian-Danish Wars, a time of pestilence, financial perplexity, and what he called the ominous Roman question. Also in this year, it was marked by the organization 
of what we call the Universal Israeli Alliance in Paris, a group that met with the goal to protect the human rights of Jews as citizens in the countries in which they live. It was a remarkable date in the eyes of Brother Thomas. But since then, other Christadelphian writers have looked at this time period of <clears throat> Daniel 8.14 and felt that 2300 is the correct rendering. And therefore, it brings us to other interesting dates. One author writes, The dominant prophecy of Daniel 8, where the time period is found, is the contest between the ram and the he-goat, which was Persia and Greece, which resulted in the triumph of the latter over the former. Alexander's triumph resulted in the extension of the European power over the land of, co of, of the covenant. This began with the conquest of Greece by Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great, and his campaign began in B.C. 353 or 352, to which, if 2,300 years are added, it terminates in 1947. In that year, the United Nations decided in favor of a Jewish state in Palestine, which was then established in May 1948. So we see some very unique dates being brought to our attention. Well, there's also another way to look at this. Alexander's decisive victories against the Persian ram occurred in B.C. 333. And in doing this, it effectively opened up the east to him. When we add 2,300 years to that date, it brings us to the terminal point of 1967, and the where we had the occupation of Jerusalem by the Israeli troops. The repercussions of the Sixth War during that year have been felt throughout the world as Arabs commenced to use economic weapons against the Israelis and their sympathizers. And all nations are now aware of the mighty power of the Israeli army. So brethren, in commenting upon the statement of Daniel, we also see, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Note what Brother Thomas says about that aspect. Let it be observed that this does not teach that the avenging of the holy is to commence immediately. It only gives us to understand that when that period is passed, the next series of events in relation to the holy land shall be manifestation of things necessary to wrest it from the Gentiles and to avenge it in their overthrow. So what Brother Thomas is saying here, just because we believe these 2,300 years have been, we've seen the completion of them, it doesn't mean that the prophecy should be thrown out the window. The avenging of the holy is not to commence immediately. There's many in this room that saw what happened in 1967 and here even saw what happened in 1947 and 48. This means that the termination of the 2300 period would introduce an epoch of time 
a time and events that will terminate in the return of Christ in which we will see the battle of Armageddon and the final cleansing of the land of promise. Brethren, world events are moving towards that climax and they have been doing so at an accelerated pace since the occupation of Jerusalem by Israel in 1967. So brethren, by our exercise this morning, we have validated the 70 weeks prophecy. We have shown how the interpretation can provide strength and comfort to brethren over many epochs or many dispensations. Our study of the prophetical word should encourage us to open our own Bibles with our pioneer works at our side that we may know, that is, we may ascertain by seeing as events transpire and develop before our eyes. We are to understand, that is, we are to be circumspect and to have intelligence in the matters regarding the things which we witness in Israel and the nations round about and to her north. We are to pattern our walk daily in these things that we may not be caught unawares. Lastly, we believe the station of our Redeemer could be at any time and that with His appearing, the things that shall prepare the land for the restoration of the kingdom shall be fulfilled. So to keep ourselves prepared, we have a more sure word of prophecy whereinto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. Brethren, we have been assured that these visions or the things which have been prophesied, as it says in Habakkuk 2.3, the vision is yet for an appointed time, and at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Come, it will not tarry.